0: Well good morning everybody, that was positive, good morning everybody, morning. that's better, curse of Northern Hope that I've come to know. Um, uh, it's lovely to be here again with you uh, for a couple of weeks and uh, I pray that um, I, I will be a blessing and that you will be blessed. Uh, I, I, before we begin, um, uh, this week I went and visited um, or tried to visit Michelle Cranwell who's one of your number. Um, And I don't think Anthony is here, her son, but I went to the ICU and spent some time with Anthony and we prayed and I said to Anthony that um, I would commend his mother to prayer in church this Sunday. Howard will do that a little later on, but out of my promise to him, um, as I come into the sermon, I'll pray for the sermon, but I'd also like to pray for Michelle, who's one of your number. Okay, Um, and uh, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we uh, come to your word this morning and we realise that Jesus is one who can calm storms, we pray for Michelle Cramwell and her family at this time. And through the stormy seasons of this last week, we pray, our Heavenly Father, that you might grant to this family your peace. Please be with Michelle and help her to recover well. We pray for medical advice and contribution that it would indeed be good and prosper her health into the future. Of course, our Heavenly Father, we know our lives are in your hands and we trust you for eternity and we pray, Lord, whether healed in this world or in the next, that our confidence would be in you. Heavenly Father, that confidence is born out of your word and so we pray now that as we turn our attention to your word, we would be listeners of it. But not just listeners, people who take it to heart and respond to it with faith and repentance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Got your Bibles open at Mark chapter 4. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm taking you on a boat trip, okay? Uh, It's the biblical boat trip, uh, and uh, that's what we'll be doing And uh, I don't want you to miss the context. This is all by way of prelim to the sermon, so if you're a timekeeper, I haven't started the sermon yet. I'm just giving you some background, okay? Uh, uh, But uh, you ought to actually have a read of Mark 4 and 5, but read the whole of Mark 4, because as Jesus gets on the boat this morning, he's getting on the boat from the place of having taught a number of parables. I want to suggest to you Mark's gospel is often used kind of evangelistically and we we see it as an evangelistic gospel. I think that is to diminish it if you only leave it there. I think it's a great discipleship document and it's a document that you will see this morning, I hope, is Jesus discipling his disciples through all sorts of experiences. So as we listen to this this morning, don't think, oh, he's preaching a sermon for the outsider. No, I'm preaching a sermon for anyone who would listen, just like Jesus. But Jesus is dealing with his disciples here in the boat. Got that? All right? Now you can press the button on your watch. I think most of you would know, uh, probably by now, that I am a boat and fishing kind of bloke. So if going on a boat ride, I'm in, okay? And as a boat, boating and safety message, life jackets are essential. That one thing can actually save your life. So what happens in a time before life jackets? When on that day, a parable preaching Jesus suggests an evening boat ride to the other side, leaving a listening and not listening crowd behind. That's where we are in Mark chapter 4 verse 35. They take Jesus just as he was, verse 36, a flotilla of boats accompany him. At one point, Jesus is in the, ter- in the stern of the boat sleeping and even a cushion is mentioned in verse 38. All this info may seem incidental. Of course, people will come up with all sorts of stupid and fascinating ideas for what the cushion is all about, but the truth is he was just using it to lay his head on. But all of these little incidental kind of statements actually point and suggest to the fact that this is an eyewitness account to an event etched in the mind of the disciples never to be forgotten. Keep in mind the context, though, context of the parables. Well, let's climb aboard verse 35. When evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. After each day of creation, you might remember in Genesis 1, there is a refrain that goes like this. There is morning and there was evening on such and such a day. You remember that refrain? My guess is that on this evening in Mark chapter 4, those sailing may have questioned the possibility of ever seeing another morning. There are days on our beaches that help us understand why the Bible uses the sea to illustrate chaos and disorder. People of the past feared it as the deep that fights against the deity. In Revelation, it's the place from where the beast comes. So now imagine being on it in the dark when the sea turns violent. There's no doubt in my mind that heading to the other side, of course, to the region of the Gerasenes, is going to be one even bigger moment of discipleship for the disciples than this moment in the boat. And if the wind blowing in your face on this particular evening was big, then the demon-possessed man that will meet them on the beach on the other side will really put the wind up everybody. But that's next week so make sure you come back, or you'll miss it. To add to the drama, this boat is not a cruise liner, and Jesus is not in a stately cabin, but he's asleep in the stern. And I believe, hopefully, you might even see a picture come up of uh, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, there's a museum that has preserved a boat from this particular period, and I've given you the picture. And seeing the replica picture of the boat gives us some understanding of where Jesus might have actually been a, been sleeping. Well, verse 37 is for those, of course, who refuse to wear a life jacket, a moment when they can't get one quick enough. You know those people? I'm not wearing a life jacket, you know. I'm not putting my seatbelt on, you know. This is one of those moments when you buckle in, Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, the Sea of Galilee, I've got to say, is famous uh, for its sudden and intense storms. Uh, The Australian theologian Leon Morris describes it as sitting 700 feet below sea level so that the air is very warm. And just 30 miles away are mountains almost 10,000 feet high, And the cold air from the mountains swoops down and clashes with the warm air, producing raging thunderstorms that come out of nowhere. Now you're really impressed, aren't you, with my geography? Um, Actually, I'm hopeless at those things, but Leon Morris is very good and hopefully that gave you some indication of the fact that things can get terribly uncertain on the Sea of Galilee. I I personally, and by way of experience, can still remember a fishing trip I went on at the age of 15. Uh, We left a little wharf on Lord Howe Island, uh, went through um, past Settlement Beach, out through the Northern Passage, and as we came out through the Northern Passage, the seas were big, but I didn't realise how big until we rose on one wave, only to see another wave as we dipped down, crash over the flying bridge of our 40-foot launch. Uh, and um, I, to say I was nervous would have been an understatement and as the boat filled with water, I only got more nervous. Fortunately, the bilge pumps kicked in, but I want you to know there are no bilge pumps on this boat in Mark IV. Just bailers. Got that? Don't forget that. You know, creation can throw some mighty curveballs at us, can't it? One minute calm and inviting, the next out of control and life-threatening. Indeed, your own creation can be like that, can't it? One minute everything's calm and going along, and the next minute life becomes wrapped in discomfort. And I know that some of you here this morning know that very experience. I can just see the disciples on the even, this evening bucketing like mad, but but to little avail. You know, there's too much water. You can feel like that sometimes, can't you? In your life experience, there's just too much to bail out. I, I can't get on top of it. So reaching for their life jacket, we read verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, Don't you care if we drown? Now, you need to understand that's no small thing for these people to ask this question when you consider that many of Jesus' companions are actually seasoned Galilean fishermen who spent their work life on this very water. There is no doubt that this is a storm to humble even the best of sailors. But you might be wondering how anyone sleeps in the midst of all of this. Some have suggested it's because Jesus' conscience was free from sin and that he didn't suffer anxiety like we do. I think that's nice. Very romantic kind of way of thinking about things. Not the world's most romantic guy. So in truth... I think Jesus is asleep in the stern on the cushion because he's high. You might remember the reference in verse 36 to them taking Jesus just as he was. Did you see that when we read the text? It had been a big day. He's got off the back of his parable preaching moment and jumped in the boat. But well, with the scene painted for us by our eyewitnesses, the real lessons are about to start. The first thing to note is a reputational question that is asked. Did you see it? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is the first time they call him teacher in Mark's Gospel. There's no surprise that the disciples, of course, would ask a teacher questions. That's what you do with teachers, isn't it? They've already asked for explanations of the parables. But this question is of a very different nature. This is a question that goes to the reputation of Jesus. It's an integrity question that they ask. Don't you care if we drown? Of course, we know that this is not just an ocean-swamping question, is it? How many times have we, have you, questioned God's care of you? And I wonder how many more times you'll actually ask the question until one day he takes you home to be with himself. Jesus has stood up the paralysed life in the opening four chapters. He's made Sabbath rest real for a withered sufferer. He's liberated the demon possessed. And now in a boat on a turbulent sea, he brings calm. As we will read on in Mark's gospel, he'll be crucified on a cross to reconcile. And he'll empty the grave to offer us hope. This is the same Jesus, I want you to know, who takes the stillborn to himself, is companion to the alone, brings the orphan into his family, finds lost sheep, restores life after we've fallen into dreadful sin, cleanses the guilty, comforts the dying and he's the one who encourages us to put on the life jacket. Verse 39, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. As a tired listen to this. Okay, if you're not listening, switch back on now. Okay. As a tired man rises from his sleep, his divine voice is heard. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. As a tired man rises from his sleep the divine voice is heard don't miss that the one who shows the marks of his humanity now sows a seed that should land on good soil remember the parable because the disciples heard the parable they remember the parables this word sown should now land on good soil quiet be still We just read Psalm 29. I don't know if you noticed in Psalm 29, but it is Yahweh who brings the storm in Psalm 29. And here before us, we have this same Yahweh who calms the storm. Now, there is something you don't see every day here, isn't it? Someone who commands creation and it falls in obedience to his will. And you can't help but see here that where the word of this King Jesus is, there is power. Here's a light on a lampstand for all to see. Remember the parable? You'd give a measure of attention to this moment, would you not, if you were there? Remember the parable? What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed, small to begin with, but grows sufficient that the birds can per- perch in its shade or a sailor can rest in its calm. You know, sometimes God answers, God's answer to our questions of his reputation can silence one storm, can't they, and create quite another storm as it did in the boat. I mean, you have a go and see if you can pull off calming the sea. Stand on the beach down in front of the surf. Do you have surf clubs up here? You do? Go down to the beach. I mean, you don't have surf like you like you do in Sydney. You have ripples here. Um, we have waves. Um, but eh, Sorry, that was rude, wasn't it? Um, you also can swim in our sea <laughs> without too much fear. But up here... Um, I keep my distance from the shore. Um, But you, you, you have a go and see if you can pull it off. Stand on the beach in front of the surf club and try pushing the ocean back with your command. Get back, get back. Watch it ignore you. Walk towards it intimidatingly. That's what you do when somebody doesn't listen, don't you? You walk intimidatingly towards them and you say, get back, get back. See if it notices you. If that doesn't work, well, step into the battle. Take it on. Get right into the water. Yell at it and see who is in control. (laughs) I love this moment in Mark 4. Because the smart person knows that you can't win against the ocean and you can't control the wind. But Jesus can. Wow. Is that a wow moment for you? Heard it too often, haven't you? You know the story. It's a wow moment. Before us is the God who not only can create the storm but calm the storm. Sometimes God's answer to our questions of his reputation can silence one storm while creating another, as it does for those in the boat. From the parables about the kingdom of God, we now see the power of this kingdom's king. But what about the disciples' questions at this point? Does the teacher care? More importantly, does the king of the kingdom care? Does the creator of heaven and earth care? Well, the calm sea should speak volumes into that question, doesn't it? Their, their boat is in the calm. But did you notice that they are not? Did you notice that? It's difficult to be calm before the God who commands creation and does what it says. What Jesus does is surprising to us, miraculous, but it's not surprising to Jesus that the creation would obey his his word. That doesn't surprise Jesus. What surprises Jesus is captured now in his question of the disciples' reputation. Did you see it? They'd ask a question of Jesus' reputation. Now Jesus asks a question of their reputation. Verse 40, he said to his disciples, "'Why are you so afraid?' Do you still have no faith? All of this and still no faith? Surely not. Christ might be the teacher, but are they the learners? The seed is sown, but on what soil is it landing? The question is of such contemporary importance, this question, isn't it? We can study the Bible and say, oh, isn't that a quaint story about Jesus calming the storm? We do it in a Sunday school lesson. And we think, oh, these stories are for the children. No, no, no. They have much more relevance, I think, to those with more years under their belt. Do you still have no faith? Faith is so difficult, isn't it? Don't you think? To walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know about you. I'm a sight person. I like seeing things. Makes it easy to believe, doesn't it? But then the journey of 65 years has seen me with God and God doing things for me and on behalf of me to calm storms, even the storms of my own guilt with promises of forgiveness and of an eternal future. This question that Jesus asks is a crucial question, not just for the disciples in the boat but for us. You know, fear occurs uh, in verses 40 to 41 twice, but the language of fear changes in these verses. Verse 40, the word is the word for cowardly. And you might have noticed that Jesus links their cowardice to their faithlessness. Fear and cowardice is all you are left with within a storm if you have no faith in the life preserver. Drown if you must, but it will not be because Jesus doesn't care. Trust in him. What should the disciples have believed? Well, they should have believed that Jesus spoke with authority. He healed, released and forgave with loving authority. That he chose them, they should have believed this, for a purpose and that they could not perish before that purpose was fulfilled. They should have believed the word he sowed, trusted in the light on the stand and rested in the branches of his kingdom. They should have done that. What a discipleship moment and challenge this is for those in the boat. And what a question they ask. Who is this? That question is crucial for an eternal future because verse 41 is the right response to the one creation obeys. Literally, now we see the word, a different word for fear used here. Literally, verse 41, where it says terrified, reads, they feared a great fear. Only this time, the fear is a good one and a right fear. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. It's the fear of God now for the disciples, not the storm that is the beginning of wisdom. And with the storm calmed, they ask the right reputational question. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey. You know, in Isaiah 66 and verse 2, God says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite and in spirit and trembles at my word. Who is this? To quote another person, this writer says, They do not fear that Jesus might harm them. Quite the contrary. They now feel much safer than before. Their confidence in Jesus love and care has increased but they see how different Jesus is from them how mighty how powerful how authority they had been acting towards him as if he was just another member of the crew but he is other he is holy he is God. Every time I read that, I think to myself, how often do I relate to Jesus like he's just another member of the crew? How's that going with you? It's just another buddy? Just another mate? The kind of one when you get to heaven, you'll kind of go, hey, mate, how you going? Not the kind of one that John meets and falls down as though dead when he sees him in his glorified place. He's more than just another member of the crew. He's the life jacket for all the crew. One of the striking things about Mark's gospel is that everything apart from man responds with instant obedience to the king's command. Evil spirits come out, paralysis is removed, sickness is healed, winds and waves are quiet. Everything responds immediately with the exception of humanity. Those made in the image of God, the pinnacle of His creation, choose to disregard God, Jesus Christ, continue to ignore the dangers, and will stand within our communities saying, I don't need a life jacket. If Jesus can rebuke the wind and waves when out of control, let me ask you this morning, what future is there for those who would rebel against their maker? Now, I'm speaking, I assume, to the converted, but I probably shouldn't assume that. Because there may be a rebel within this very room who thinks that they can stand with all sorts of bravado, push away the life jacket and I'll do it my way. Of course, you won't have that song at your funerals, will you? All right? Hello? Don't know what I'm talking about? You know that stupid song, I did it my way? You won't do that at your funerals, will you? It's striking how many funerals you go to, that's the song they sing. And I think, well, there's just a judgment on you. You did it your way and left the life jacket because you thought you could weather the storm. There's a storm coming that you will only survive wearing the life jacket. When we are out of control, we have two choices, brothers and sisters. To repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near, or to wait for the day when choice is gone and Jesus commands your silence and removes your threat from his good order. I don't know about you. I'm putting on the life jacket. I put it on. Have you? And when we read this story, you know none, none of the effort of those fishermen bailing water was going to save. Them. So can I just say this to all of you today, those of you who might pride yourself in how good you are, that perhaps you're better than your neighbor those of you who think that your good works really are super good and outstanding and that they're going to give you super credit in heaven, can I just say say to you, that's just your bailing. Stop bailing. And put on the life preserver. Stop bailing and get trusting. Because it would be terrible to hear Jesus say, do you still have no faith? Stop bailing and put your trust in him. And may God help us to do that together. What a discipleship moment, don't you think? If I was a disciple of Jesus and I was in the boat, I think I would have learned the lesson, don't you? But as you'll see, they're not quick learners. Okay? And you might not either. So just continue on the path with Jesus and keep being disciples. May God help us to understand these things. Amen.